understanding that this is the longest passage on the subject of forgiveness. That as far as Jesus' instruction on the subject of forgiveness. Have you ever owed somebody a lot of money? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever owed somebody a lot of money? We all do right now if we have a mortgage, right? Um, have you ever owed somebody a lot of money? And uh, it's like, man, I'm never going to get this paid off. And, and it's hard when you owe a person money, too. It's just like if you owe another person, you're going, ugh. You know, but if you owe a company money, it's just kind of impersonal, and you can whine and cry and stuff and act like they're treating you bad. But, um, but when you owe a person money, um, it's weighty. You're like, ugh, I get this debt out of the way. If you ever owe somebody a lot of money, um, you need to go to FPU classes. Then. Uh, the, which we had at church here, the financial peace. But no, if you ever owe somebody a lot of money and, um, and then they forgive you of that and just say, ah, forget it, just don't worry about it. Boy, that is such a relief. You ever had somebody relieve you of a debt that you owed with them? Maybe even you're just a kid and you owed somebody 10 bucks to your parent or something and they said, all right, we're just going to clear you of that debt. That could be quite a relief. Or perhaps somebody has, you know, I know in the last 10 or 15 years, um, the government kind of gets involved in mortgages and stuff, and I don't think they should, but some people have, have experienced the debt forgiveness, some debt forgiveness, and, and perhaps their mortgage or some other scenario. And I'm certain, in fact, I, I, I've known of a Christian that, that experienced that, and they are upside down in a house, and then they basically got a, uh, they, the, the old debt was forgiven, and they restructured a, uh, a mortgage for them, and it was like a relief. If you ever owe somebody a lot of money and then you, and you get forgiven of that, it is such a relief. Um, have you ever forgiven somebody who owed you? You ever done that? Forgiven somebody who owed you? I remember one time, um, Deb, can you hand me a few of those, please? I remember one time, I, this is kind of a cheesy example. I was talking to my, my wife, sorry, Catherine. One time I had a, a teenager, and he'd borrow money from me a lot. And, and um, when, I was, when we were working with the teens, and I, you know, I'd let him borrow money. Sometimes he'd pay me back, you know, and... And so after a while, I was like, and it wasn't a lot of money, but he'd borrowed money. I should say occasionally he borrowed money from me. And so one time, he, you know, he's borrowing, he borrowed money, and it's like, I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money. And I'm like, I kind of needed him to pay me back. You know, it was like 10 or 20 bucks or something at the time. And, and uh, it was kind of youth activity, and he hadn't paid me back for, you know, like a month or so. And uh, I said, and his birthday came up, and I'm like, you know, I wrote all these kids a birthday card, maybe sometimes gave them a gift. And uh, <laughs> so finally I put in his birthday card, happy birthday, da 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 da. And that 10 bucks you owe me, don't worry about it. Happy birthday. You know? <laughs> I was like, my gift to you is that forgiveness. You know? <laughs> I don't even think you, you know what? And honestly, when he, I don't even think he even cared. I don't even think he remembered that he owed me money. So it wasn't like it was a relief. Oh, thank you, Pastor Mike. I don't even think it was a relief to him. But, you know, if you ever owe somebody money, it's pressure. If you've ever done, if you've ever wronged somebody and, um, you haven't made it right. Boy, it's just weighty. It weighs on you, you know? Um, <clears throat> so this is about forgiveness. What is, what is the forgive? What does it mean to forgive? The basic word. What does it mean to forgive? It may, you, 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 it's like it means to forget. Well, you may or may not forget. That's not what the word means. You might forget it. You might not. That's, but that's not the essence of what the word means. The word forgive, it's, a, it's an action word here that's, that, we are, that it's translated from. The action word is to just release, let go. It's from a 
two words that means away. Apo is away. And the other, the other half of the word is to, re, to, to uh, send. It's like to send away, to let go, to release. Um, the picture there is when Jesus, uh, one of, a couple times when Jesus rebuked somebody who was sick and they had a fever, it said the fever left them. It's the same word. It just was released. It's the same word. To forgive means to, to release somebody, let them off the hook. You know, I got in trouble when I was a kid. I'd get in trouble with my parents or my dad, and I'd get grounded, and my dad would say, I'm going to let you off the hook this time, boy. You know, I'm like, yes, off the hook. I felt so good. I, I wasn't even felt like I was on a hook, but I envisioned myself on a hook going, I'm in trouble because I've stayed out too long, and I'm on the hook. My dad said, I'm going to let you off the hook this time, boy. I'm like, yeah, and it just felt good to hear that, you know, off the hook. Well, that's what forgiveness is. It means to be let, let free. Um, have you ever been forgiven by somebody? Somebody ever let you off the hook? Um, so it's presumed, as we look at this text, it's presumed that we would practice forgiveness, okay? Let's just establish that. Peter came to him, look at verse 21, Peter came to him, to Jesus, said, Lord, how oft shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So we'll deal with that particular statement, but the idea is it's presumed, Peter, as he's coming to Jesus, it's presumed that he's supposed to be a forgiver. He's supposed to be one who lets people go that owe him or that have wronged him that he's retaining. And uh, it's presumed that he would and he should practice it. I mean, in the Old Testament, a couple highlighted examples of a forgiver would be J- Joseph. Uh, who was made a ruler in Egypt and was wronged early in his life several times by his brother and by some others. But when he was made ruler in Egypt and his brothers eventually found refuge in Egypt and discovered that their brother was basically second in command, they found refuge in Egypt, they found care and love under Joseph, and Joseph took care of the whole house of Israel. Towards the end of Joseph's life, pardon me, towards the end of, uh, after Joseph's dad, after the brother's dad, the brothers came to Joseph, even though they'd been living with him, even though they'd kind of felt like there was some love there. After the dad died, the brothers came to Joseph. These are adult men. Some of them are grandparents, probably. And they said, and they said forgive us, forgive the, our trespass. They were afraid that Joseph was going to bring the hammer down on them because he had power there in Egypt. He had a lot of power. Um, and they're afraid that Joseph was going to bring the hammer down on them. And, just, and he could have legally done that. He could have just been justified in nailing his brothers, doing, putting them in prison, doing whatever. But when he came to them, and in fact, I think it was through a messenger, it's Genesis 50, when the brothers came and they said, forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy servants, and, and they were just humbling themselves. The Bible says that Joseph wept when he heard them say that. And he basically replies, you are forgiven. And all this whole scenario, God meant it for good. Even though it was bad, God meant it for good to save this whole family here and provide us a refuge uh, here under my leadership in Egypt. God, God puts a highlight on a man who, of his own volition, forgives great, great, great sin. You know, it's one thing for a stranger to hurt you. He doesn't know you. You don't know him. It's one thing for maybe, a, maybe even, um, you know, a casual friend to hurt you. It's another thing for a family member to hurt you. It's another thing for family members 
to hurt you. As Joseph had several brothers who were just despised him. They threw him in the pit. They saw the anguish of his soul in this pit. And they wouldn't hear. They couldn't stand him. And they sold him to slaves. They watched him ride off with the Midianites or Ishmaelites to Egypt. And they sold him. That's another thing to be sinned against by somebody who definitely knows better in his, your flesh and blood. That was the sin against Joseph. And at the end of his life, he affirmed, you are forgiven. You're released, guys. So we need to be forgivers. That's presumed. Jesus, we went, if, if we were to go back to Matthew 6, part of the prayer, the Lord's pattern of prayer is, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Release us as we release others. But the issue is not, the question is not, should I be a forgiver, Lord? That's not the question here. There's another question. How oft, look at verse 21, how often are we going to keep doing this? How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I mean, how, how much is too much forgiveness? Do I just keep forgiving this knucklehead here? How oft shall I do this, Lord? And then Peter says, you know, being real spiritual, till seven times? And, I mean, <clears throat> it, logically that makes sense. Should, I've begun Bob my duty. I mean, perhaps Peter was thinking back in the book of Amos where God was calling out the sins of the nation of Israel. And he says, for three transgressions and for four, I'm going to nail it. In other words, three strikes, you're out, Israel. He was talking to them as a nation. They had three hideous sins. And God says, finally, I'm going to punish you as a nation on this. After three strikes, you're out. And so perhaps Peter's thinking, you know, well, the Lord did three for the nation because we're so wicked. And then he punished us. Um, well, I'm going to go to seven. And I've done my duty. Perhaps that's what Peter thought. Perhaps rabbis were teaching if you did seven, seven um, uh, times that you, would, you, could forgive your, uh, you could forgive your brother seven times. And after that, you don't have no obligation to forgive him. Perhaps rabbis said that. I don't know. But he thought, well, this sounds good. And so he says, Lord, how, how long am I going mean, to, how much is too much? Is it, uh, shouldn't we just stop at seven? And so he asked him, how often, how frequently should I forgive? And, and the Lord says, now notice what the Lord says in verse 22. I say not unto thee seven. Now maybe somebody else said to him seven. But Jesus says, I don't tell you, Peter, till seven times. I say, but until 70 times seven, he says. Now, which is 490. And some of us geeks in here would be like, okay, I'm going to start keeping track then. And you have your little checkboard of slashes and everything. And I think we can all realize that's not what it means, 490. I mean, if you can go to 490, why not 491? Okay. You know, that means incessantly. It's a way of saying incessantly. 70 times 7, just incessantly forgive is what Jesus says. Whoa, unlimited, perpetually forgive the brother who keeps sinning and he repents, and you say, I forgive you sins, repents, I forgive you, and you keep, you keep forgiving constantly. That's what Jesus says. Wow. Wow. So the question, is, should, the question is not, should I forgive? Yes, you should forgive. The question is, how often should I forgive? And the answer is, constantly, 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 constantly be a forgiver. I, I got these little, I was telling Johanna, um, is that okay then if I share this? See, I almost already shared it anyways. So Johanna was probably four, and uh, I had this in my file, and she gave us um, 
my wife and I, she sent us postcards. No postage was paid. It was delivered in our house. So um, a couple little postcards here. And so this one is actually, I think it's actually two sisters, but I think Johanna meant for it to be like mother, uh, mother, daughter there. And, uh, and it says in Johanna's probably three or four year old, what do you think that is, babe? Four, three or four? Maybe five or six. Okay. All right. She spelled it right. It's just the font is not consistent, but we won't hold that against her. So Johanna right, sent it sent to, to mom uh, from Johanna. Dear mom, sorry, I've been selfish. I love you so much. Please forgive me, your daughter, Johanna. That's so sweet. And then she sent one, and then she sent one to me. And uh, I like this one. It's the daddy dancing with the daughter at some kind of square dance or something there. They're playing fiddles in the background. And so, again, uh, to dad from Johanna. Dear dad, I'm sorry I've been selfish. I love you so much. Please forgive me, your daughter, Johanna. Ah, yeah, I love that. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I don't remember what she did, you know. So she was being selfish. Our kids would say to each other, Dad, Jimmy's being shellfish. Mom, Susie would say, Mom, Gideon's being shellfish. They all say shellfish when they're younger, but so Johanna's being selfish. And who has not, you know? Uh, we've all been selfish. But it's sweet to have that forgiveness. But that, you know, that was light. What about something that's heavy and constant and constant and constant and constant and constant? That's another story. I was really, I, if I brought it and read this article from Voice of the Martyrs to you, some of you, your skin would crawl. I don't have it. But the summary, the sum of it was uh, years ago, this was probably 15 years ago, I had this article about, you know, Christians are dying all over the world, particularly in Middle Eastern countries, Muslim countries, North Korea. And Voice of the Martyrs tries to track that and just keep us mindful of it which is very healthy for us spoiled brat American, American Christians to, to be mindful of it. But there was in Turkey, actually in the region of where these seven churches of Revelation are, there was this one area where there was like four, there was like three Christian men, they're having a Bible study. It was Christianity's illegal there in, in Turkey, even back 15 years ago. And uh, um, these men, you know, you don't go out evangelizing publicly and preaching and stuff. Your ministry will be short. So they, they would kind of secretly kind of get to know people and find out if they're, if they're open to, to come into a Bible study. And that's what happened. Three Christian men had uh, apparently five men who were open. And most people are professing Muslims there. <clears throat> um, and there's apparently five seekers, Muslim men, who wanted to come to this, these three other Christian men, uh, their Bible study. And these five men, they, they came and they sat down and went to the Bible study. And, and there wasn't a lot of Christians there. <clears throat> but there was a handful, including the three men who invited them. And so there's the five men. These five men are actually Muslims who intend to kill. They are pretending to be seekers. And they're in the meeting, and they are starting the Bible. The guy was reading the Bible and, um, you know, teaching it and just got started. And then, and then I can't tell you all everything. I don't even want to tell you everything. But basically they started to um, apprehend the men, the Christian men, and began to do things to torture them that were absolutely... Uh, horrifying. Uh, reading it, I, I was getting chills up my spines. The things, just how they think of how torturous they could do and the disgusting things they could do to a human being slowly. They were doing those things. <clears throat> and, um, 
and they killed these three Christian men, I think maybe a few others, um, and tortured them. It was disgusting. Um, one of the ladies, uh, the wife of one of the men, uh, basically, long story short, said, I forgive them. They know not what they do. She said it on TV in Turkey. And it was put on most of their newspapers on the front page that this one Christian woman forgave these Muslims in a Muslim newspaper for doing this torture to her husband. And, um, and she just said, I forgive them. And, and, and again, I, all we can do for me, and probably most of us, all we can do is read that and imagine that and admire it. It's hard for probably any of us to relate with that. But we can see that that's the watermark of some people's forgiveness. That's that level they've gone to even unto the death of their precious spouse. Well, the issue is this. How, the issue is should, it's not should I forgive, it's how often should I forgive, and Jesus says all the time perpetually. And so now we're going to, this is the rest of our time. Verses 22 to 35 is this. Pardon me, verses 23 to 35 is this. Jesus, now, Peter opened up the question. So now Jesus is going to tell a story to reinforce the need for perpetual forgiveness, and there's a key reason why. Again, the need for perpetual forgiveness from a believer, and there's a key reason why. So let's, let's walk through this. And by the way, as we walk through this, we're going to tell the story, and we're going to relate it with us, because it's meant, a parable means parallel. It's meant to relate. Here's the story, here's you, and it relates together. All right? Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. So imagine a king, in this day it wouldn't be hard to imagine, there's a king, he has a region, he has a realm, he has multiple servants, perhaps he even had governors of, of regions. But he had servants and this king says, all right, I need to give an account of all my debit card holders, need to see your receipts, need to see your ledgers, Need to see what's been going on. So he had servants who had some access somehow to, to some of the king's treasury or perhaps to some uh, uh, other sources of the king's income. And he said, I need to give an account of my servants. So he had servant here, servant here, servant, different types of servants over different types of things. And he reckons with them. That means let's count it up. Let's, let's do the math and see where we stand, guys. What have, what have you, how much money have you come across and, of mine and what have you done with it? You know, what's, the, what's the income? What's the expenses? What's your income? What's your expenses? And he's reckoning with each one of them. They give an account to him. He's a lord. See, we kind of have a hard time thinking of this because we're an American democratic republic. But this guy basically owns everything. He's the king. And so he's reckoning. And one of the servants, it says, what does it say? And when he began to reckon, verse 24... It says, uh, there was brought unto him one which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it doesn't say talents of gold. It doesn't say talents of silver. I don't know what the nature of the talent. But if it's, but if it's, a, if it's a talent by way of weight, this is, a, this is actually a lot. Um, and if you were to just search the word talent in the Old Testament, the use of it, it would take a donkey to carry two talents. It would strap over a donkey. And apparently one man could carry a talent, apparently of perhaps silver or something else, he would carry that talent. So a talent is quite a bit. And so if it says 10,000 talents, the idea there is we don't need to get the exact number, but I'm getting, as in my research, it's like saying millions. 
A lot of money. It's, a, it's more than what a servant can get. Solomon one time sent people out on ships. Now, if you go out on a ship to look for something, you better come back with something and not like crumbs. He would send people out on ships to go find gold and silver. And one time they came back with 400-something talents of silver. Well, that tells you 400-something talents. That must have been worth it. So talent itself must be a lot. So 10,000? This guy owes 10,000 talents of something, a lot of money to his king. He's in debt. What have you been doing with that debit card? You know, what have you been doing? Uh, funneling the, I mean, maybe he was over some taxation. He's been kind of pocketing a lot of it. I don't know. Instead of feeding the taxation directly to the treasury and giving account to the king, perhaps he's been taxing a group of people and just, I don't know, but the guy had 10,000 talents he owed this king. Now let's just go ahead and stop right here. I think the, the parallel is reasonable to say we owe God. We have a great debt with God. God is a great king. God has a realm where his servants and we owe him. We have wages of our sin. It's death. And we have each one. Okay, so L have sinned. Everybody's broken God's law. Everybody's done something wrong, thought something wrong, or not done something right that they should have done. We've all sinned. And it's a great amount. Just think about driving as an example. What if there was literally a camera on you all the time and took a picture when you did an infraction? Or there was literally a, um, you know, the speed, once you broke the speed yeah. limit, immediately it triggered that you're going to get a ticket in the, in, the, in the mail. What if that happened? What if that really happened to each one of us? We'd be like, man, I only, I only broke the speed limit for five seconds. Still, you know, what if we got a ticket every time? We'd owe a lot of money. Yeah. How much more the God's eye in the sky on everything we say do, think. He sees it all. And God is a just God who will not by no means just say, eh, no big deal. He sees every wicked thought, every wicked deed, every slightly wicked thought, every slightly wicked deed, every, uh, every sinful word, every sinful motive. If you've been envious, if you've been, if you've been hateful, if you've been proud, if you've been unjustifiably angry, if you've stolen, if you've lust, if you've committed adultery, if you've blasphemed, if you've um, lied, if you've bared false witness, though nobody else sees it and everybody else gives you a good reputation, you have wonderful resumes and good background reports, God sees it. And it racks up on his ledger with the God in heaven. He sees it's racking up our sin debt. We have all sinned. So what if you only sinned once a day for the rest of your life? That's a lot of sin. So we also have a great debt with God, just like the servant did. I mean, look, the, the king said, let's reckon. Let's do math. Math is just an unforgiving science. Well, let's just do math with God. And look at, think about how many times you've sinned. And I've sinned. By the way, some people aren't saved. Perhaps somebody's not even saved in here today because you don't think much about your sin. You think, oh, Jesus is a wonderful person. Yeah, he's cool. You haven't really thought about your sin. If you really think about your sin, you realize, I'm in trouble with God. I need an advocate to clear me of this. But here, here's this servant. So he's, he reckoned, he, wow, he owes 10,000 talents. Notice what it says now. It says there, Ah, he, he's, he's, he's desperate. For, but for as much, it says, as he had not to pay, his, his, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children 
and all that he had in payment to be made. Punishment is pending for this guy. So the guy, he says, you owe me 10,000 talents. Where's it at? I can't pay it. He's like, the king rightfully, justfully says, all right, go get, he, he commands, he commands. Let's find, get his family, get his children, get his wife, whatever he has, servants, bring them all in and um, they're going to be sold and I'm going to get some payment from it. It doesn't mean that fulfill the payment, but he's going to sell this man. Again, this is a different, a different kind of a different realm, a different country where people are bought and sold. Servants are bought and sold. And he was going to sell this guy. And I don't know what that meant, if it meant selling him to an actual debtor's prison or what, but it was altering. It would alter this man's life and his wife and his children. And everything is drastically overnight going to change drastically. And that punishment was pending. There's a punishment for us that don't know the forgiveness of God and Jesus Christ pending. If we die without Christ, hell is waiting for us. The wages of our sin is death. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That means it's pending. The wrath of God is pending over me if I've not believed sincerely on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So this guy has this judgment pending on him, and, it's, it's in the, and they're making preparations to send him away. And so now notice what happens here. It says that this guy, again, gets desperate, and, he, and he's contrite, and he falls down. Verse 26, he fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. So this guy is just let, he's just falling apart. He just falls down. The Bible says he worships him. The idea is that he shows total, total submission to him. It wasn't like he broke out in a praise song or something. It means he, to that's what worship means. It means just to fall down and just submit and fall apart before God and be his servant. And he fell down and worshiped him and he begs him. And it's kind of even, even he, he just says, just be patient with me and, and I, will, <clears throat> I will pay you all, which is really almost so sad and pathetic. It's like, it's like, you know, a guy who's, you know, that's never going to probably make more than, we can't think of this in America because we're so prosperous, but a person like this man was probably never going to make much money ever. And here he is in a, in a debt that's like millions. And he says, have patience with me, I'll pay it back. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But he's fallen down, he's contrived. Perhaps his wife is there weeping. Perhaps his kids are there weeping. I don't know, but he's, but he's, 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 he's contrived and he's, and he's, seeking some, he's seeking some leniency here. He didn't even say, forgive me of all my debt. He just says, have patience with me and I'm going to pay it back. And by the way, for us, when we realize how much debt we owe, we realize how much we've sinned against God, that the right thing to do is Cast yourself on the mercy of God. It's always safe to throw yourself on the mercy of God, whether you're saved or not. Say, God, I give my give me, I cast myself on your mercy. But especially for those of us that don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and we realize how much debt we have, you know what you do? You can appeal to God. God has, God has designed it that if you appeal to Him through Jesus Christ and make that appeal like, Lord, save me for Jesus' sake. Remit my sins for the sake of what your son did on the cross for me. I believe him. Lord, save me and remit my sins for that sake. And he will. 
Did you know that God commanded in Luke 24 that the gospel of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel should be preached among all nations? And watch this, that remission of sins should be preached in His name. People can have their sins remitted. You can have a lifetime of sin wiped clean if you appeal to God in the name of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I believe your son. I'm trusting him as my savior. Forgive me. Then he will. And so this man, he, he just falls down and, and he says, have patience with me. And look what happens. Look at the pleasant response, the wonderful response of this Lord, this king. It says in verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Amazing. So this is not just a, this wasn't just a stale act. This wasn't just a, a bland, heartless act. It was like, oh, this guy. And he's just moved with compassion. You know what it means? It means he was emotional. That's what it means. It's okay to be emotional. As long as you're steering it in the direction of truth. And he was emotional. He says, let this guy go. And, and, Forget, just forget the, all the obligations. It's canceled. All the debt, the 10,000 talents, forget it. It's canceled. He forgave him the debt. Now, what's amazing to me is like, see, he didn't say, you know what? You're right. I'll be patient with you. I'll let you pay, try to pay me back. See what you can do. He didn't work out a payment plan with him. He didn't say, look, pull, let's pull over. I got one of my uh, specialists over here. He does a debt reduction program. Let's go over to the side office and we'll work in this out. You know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll shorten the debt. We'll work out some payment plans. You won't have to pay the whole $10,000. He doesn't work out a debt reduction payment plan. He doesn't work out payment plans. He doesn't say, let's just see how you do. He says, just forget the whole thing. Just, it's wiped clean. You're loosed. There's no obligation. Debt's canceled. Just go. Wow. Isn't that, now that is intended to show us something that we know and the Bible says, if Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, even through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, that means the total cancellation of sins. The Bible says that um, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And it says that he took the, the writing of ordinance against us, that is, the, all the claims of, our, of yours and my sins and everything I've ever Sin I've done, law I've broken, law I haven't filled. He takes that writing, all those tickets with God, he takes them out of the way and he nails it to the cross. He took it out of the way. He took away your, your, the, the, the public statement of your debt with God, put it out and nailed it, nailed it to the cross. Having forgiven you all your trespasses. So here's the thing. This guy basically got a lifetime of debt wiped away by this king. We have a lifetime of sin wiped clear if you've trusted Jesus. The past, the present, the future. You have a lifetime of sin wiped clean in Jesus Christ. You're redeemed through his blood. So notice what else. So this guy's forgiven. Wow. This man's forgiven. So let's look what happens. There's a response here that's very disturbing, though. The Bible says, um, <clears throat> verse 28, the, the servant went and, went and did something here. He, <clears throat> he went and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. hundred pence. I mean, 
I don't know Greek and Hebrew, Pastor, but that doesn't sound like a lot of money. 100 pence. Yeah, it's like 100 pennies, which back in that day was probably two or three months of wages. Not much compared to 10,000 talents. So this guy, he's forgiven. He gets forgiven the 10,000 talents. He runs and he finds another. Here's one of my servants. This guy owes me. And he goes over to one of his fellow servants. And he, the Bible says, well, look what it says. He, he says he grabbed him. by He laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, verse 28, saying, pay me that thou owest. Whoa. First of all, number one, this guy that got forgiven 10,000 talents is not acting like a forgiven man. Man, when you get forgiven of something huge, even if we just talk about money here, man, you act a little different. You're just like, oh, you can be chill with people. Hey, man, you know, it's like, you owe me 20 bucks. Okay, it's all right, man. It's, you, know, you, you just chill out a little bit. Normally, that's how it's supposed to work, right? If you're very hard on people about that, if you ever get in a place where you're in debt and you get forgiven of it, it'll soften you. Well, this guy's forgiveness with this king was, should have been softened him. But he's not acting soft. He's not acting like a forgiven man. Pay me that thou owest. So that's one problem. The next problem is it's only 300 pence. Look what you're doing, man. I mean, it's like one, per, one Bible scholar said, this is one six hundred thousandth in comparison to what he owed the king. Pay me that thou owest. Um, we got to think about this thought. Now, again, between me and God, between you and God, what if God really literally had a ledger of every time we've sinned? How was that way, and we're forgiven of it in Christ, how would that way for any, the worst person you ever met, the times they've sinned against you? In other words, I'm, I'm certain, I know I have sinned against God more than anybody has ever sinned against me. I know that. And that's the case here. This man who's, who's being mean to this man who owes him 300 pence, small debt toward him in comparison to a huge debt that he had to the king. Very disturbing behavior here. So in fact, it gets the attention. Notice this. It says verse well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Verse 29. The fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. So the guy's grabbed by the throat. Oh, my throat. He falls down. He says, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, wait a minute. That's exactly what that servant said to the king. And the king was just broke down to tears and forgave him. Now, this man who owes him much less falls down. Uh, the man fall down and said, have patience with me, I'll pay him all. No, look what it says in verse 30. He would not, but went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. Wow, this is totally unreasonable, totally unreasonable behavior. Now, again, let's stop a second. If we didn't know about this man being forgiven 10,000 talents, we didn't know about that at all. This story was, and we just hear about a man who's kind of rough on a guy that owes him two to three months worth of wages and a little rough on him and sends him to a prison. We'd be like, eh, okay. You know, we'd be like, all right, all right. It's a little more tolerable to hear that. But this is from a guy who's been cleared. 
So it's disturbing. And notice that this, this disturbingness gets, it gets to the attention of the fellow servants. Verse 31 says, when the, his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. That's incredible. So this man's treating this other guy so roughly, the fellow servants are like, I can't believe he's doing that. Some of them are probably like, we saw what this guy, we saw what this guy did. He appealed to the king and he was crying and the king cried back and the king forgave him. And it was amazing. I can't believe how much he forgave this guy. And now he's doing this. They're really sorry. It's pathetic. They're like, this is not how it should be. Let me just say something this as a, as a connection here. You know, we got to think about ourselves as Christians that we, we claim to be forgiven. We say, we're not perfect, I'm just forgiven. You know, we say stuff like that, and that's true. Well, it's embarrassing if we are really hard on other people who need our forgiveness. It's embarrassing. It's a bad testimony to others that are looking. It's a bad testimony. Um, that we claim that we've been forgiven of all kinds of sins, and yet we are really hard on somebody or something less than what we've racked up against God. Other people look at that and they think, that's not good, especially other Christians. So here's this servant here, and he falls down. He doesn't get the, this other servant does not get mercy. He gets thrown into prison. The other servants say, this is, this is not good. They report it to the king, and notice now the king confronts him. <clears throat> Verse 32, then his Lord after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Wow. So the Lord calls in the fellow servant. He says, hey, you're wicked. You're wicked. I forgave you everything. I gave the whole thing. And now watch this. Shouldn't you also have done what I did for you? Shouldn't you also have had pity on this servant? Just like I had pity on you. I had pity on you. Shouldn't you have had pity on that person? And he was very upset. Now, the idea here for us is this. And this is, a, this is really the crux, I think, of this, of this, of this uh, story of the unforgiving servant. And that is this. The king expects that his forgiveness to his servant gets reflected to other people and other servants. That's what the king expected. And so for us, we have been forgiven through Christ Jesus. An immense amount of debt, we all have. Maybe some of you have more than me. It doesn't matter, but we all have a big debt with God. We cast ourselves on the mercy of God through Christ Jesus. We found his compassion. He didn't reluctantly forgive you. He gladly forgave you. And he didn't set up a payment plan of religious deeds that you have to do between now and the time you die. He says, no, you're forgiven past, present, future. And we're cleared. And we know that. Now God says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, so also you forgive others. In other words, We've been forgiven a great debt by our great king. It needs to be passed on to others. And anything less than that is disturbing to him. So this king was disturbed that this servant didn't do it. He was upset. He said, you should have, even as I also had pity on you. Do you see something here about <clears throat> forgiveness? The key in forgiveness is this, that <clears throat> we 
God's grace, God's forgiveness has come to you and it's intended to go through you. God's forgiveness that has come to you and I is intended. The intent is not just to forgive you, but it's the intent of God's forgiveness to you is supposed to become God's gift. God's forgiveness to you is supposed to become God's forgiveness through you. That's the intention of it. So that it's not that forgiveness is just a nice little Christian thought or it's a nice psychological concept. No, it's a God glorifying thing. The idea of forgiveness is to make much of God. It's to make a big deal about God, to amplify God's forgiveness. Um, the Bible says, he says, shouldest not, he says, I forgave thee all that debt. Verse 13, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy servant, on thy fellow servant, even as I. Did you know that we are supposed to forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us? Now that's, inter let's just pause for a second before we get to the end of this, <clears throat> which is one more particular point. I need to, I'm not going to answer every question on forgiveness today because there's probably brought up, I may have answered questions, but also caused questions today. But you know that a lot of times in the Bible, the pattern of forgiveness goes like this. A person's been wronged. The wronged person confronts the person who wronged them. The person who wronged them either ignores them or repents. Jesus says, if thy brother sin against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, let him go. And if he does that, this says in Luke, I think it's 17. If he does it seven times in a day, seven times in a day he turns to you and repents, seven times in a day let him go. The idea of forgiving somebody is that it's, we, it should involve, I mean, if it's something that's really disturbing, it should involve where you confront them. Say, this was done. And they, you hope, repent. Because you're doing a person good by confronting them on mistreatment of you because it's going to help prevent mistreatment of others. You confront them. If they repent, you announce that they're released. Now watch this. If they don't repent, you stand ready to announce that they're released. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake. Now let's, let me try to make it a little more clear. All right. Is everybody in the world forgiven with God? Is everybody right now forgiven? Every single person? No, not everybody is forgiven. If people die outside of Christ, they're unforgiven unless they accept Christ as their Savior. Not everybody is forgiven. But God stands ready for somebody who comes to Him and says, Yes, I recognize that my, my sin was paid in Jesus Christ. Saving God. Yep, you got it. He stands ready with a forgiving spirit. He stands ready to announce the forgiveness and impute it. And that's how we should be. We should have our forgiveness prepared in our heart, forgiveness prepared in our spirit. And, and when, if there's a, you know, particularly where you have to confront somebody, you want them to acknowledge it and you can announce it to them. And so here is this servant. And he said, he was told, you should have had pity like I had pity on you. Notice now, verse 34, 35, his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The tormentors. Now, I think what he, the tormentors, they put the pressure on somebody. 
They put the screws on him till he confesses, till he admits, till he does. He delivered him. Just go put the pressure on that guy till something changes. I don't think it represents a man who is gone to perdition, gone to hell. I don't think it's representing a person who goes to hell. I think it represents a person who is a Christian who is forgiven by God, like us today. We've been released. And then we go around and we, we retain people who've done this or that and we don't forgive them, we hold them. Do you know what it does? You know what God does? He, he sends something or He chastens you or somehow lets you be tormented. It's tormenting not to forgive people. It hurts you. It's like, this was in the bulletin a couple weeks ago. I don't know if I have the, let's see if I can pull it up. Brother Sharoma put it in there. A little boy was sitting on a park bench in an obvious pain. A man walking by asked him, what was wrong? What's wrong, boy? The young boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The man urgently asked him, then why don't you get up? The boy replied, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. You know, <laughs> I'm going to sit on him. He said, get up. That's not going to hurt you. You got to let the bumblebee go and then go have mom pluck that thing out. <laughs> the stinger. You know, um, I've, again, pull up some stats and everything. There's a Christian will find it cheaper to pardon than to resent. Forgiveness saves the, the expense of anger, the cost of hatred, the waste of spirits. Robertson McQuilkins, a pastor who died years ago, wrote, The sin of unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys relationships, eats away at one's own psyche, and worst of all, shuts us off from God's grace. I read a, one, there was this group, there was a study that was funded by the Templeton Forgiveness Research Campaign. And they did a research on the nature of forgiveness. And that this is a, even in secular scenarios. Researchers found that there's a psychological reason for forgiveness that is health. At Hope College in Michigan, researchers measured heart rates, sweat rates, and other responses of the subjects when they were asked to remember past slights. Quote, their blood pressure increases, their heart rate increases the muscle tensions are also higher. This suggests their stress responses are greater during their unforgiving than during their forgiving conditions. The Lord delivered this guy, this unforgiver, to, to, to the tormentor. And again, I just for us as Christians, and again, I can't, I'm not here to answer every scenario that, of forgiveness with you. But I just know, I can see in the Bible and we see in, in action that it hurts you when you withhold it. It hurts you. That's what the Bible's teaching here. So let me wrap this up with a few thoughts. If you see this here, again, the key is God <clears throat> you know, intends that what his, whatever He is good to you should be through you so that God in all things is glorified. Not so that you're a great character. Oh, he's such a wonderful forgiver. How can you forgive? If somebody says, how can you forgive somebody? Tell them. There's a reason. It's not you. It's not your great character. And you're such a wonderful, well-groomed person. You're taught right and went to Sunday school. It's because you have a great, that forgiving God. That God in all things may be glorified in this. So that if, listen to this. And so that if we have a problem, according to the Bible here, if I have a problem with somebody else, in, in, for, in the matter of forgiveness and not forgiving them, I don't really have a problem with somebody else. It's not that I have a problem as a Christian. 
I'm not forgiving somebody. It's not because I have an issue with another person. It's because I have an issue with God. And I'm not keenly aware and tuned in to how forgiven I am. Because if I am, I'm going to let that flow out to somebody else. And the, the reverse is true. If I forgive somebody, it's not so much because of that person. It's because of this person. The immense amount of forgiveness has come to me. I just let it flow right through. Do you know that there's in the past in small towns and places where they're near mountains and down valleys, they'd be, have waters and rivers come through and, and down the, the course of those miles of that rivers, they would claim different rights to the water, you know, and they'd have agreements, legal agreements on this town gets this much water and this town gets, and the, and the, the towns downstream would, you know, they would still get a certain amount of water and it would be wrong for another town to violate their water rights and start diverting all the water away. Some guy channels it over to his field too much than he's supposed to. Another guy takes it over and they rob another town of their rights of water. It's supposed to go flow from the gift from the sky onto the mountains, melts out, goes through the creeks and the streams and gets fed to these different towns who agree on the water rights. And again, for us, it's that we've got a gift from God of, of that my, my lifetime of sin is wiped clean and I need to let that, that picture flow through me in forgiving somebody. Are you petty? Are you, not, are you petty and, you know, like petty things? Like, yeah, I'm just holding that grudge of that, of that. Are you holding a grudge against your spouse? Are you holding a grudge against your brother, your sister, your brother, sister in the Lord? Or are you letting the grace and the forgiveness that you know flow through you? Because that's how God intends for it to be. That's the key to forgiveness, is letting what you know of God's forgiveness flow through you. And that glorifies Him. Let's pray and thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for that. And um, there's no, uh, none of us in here that, that uh, there's no person that could be too